We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and you are listening to episode 27, Team Player. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. He is not in Vegas this week, and I am not either, and I am very sad about that. How are you this week? I'm happy not to be in Vegas. Like, I, I get that it's the whole community thing, and it would be cool to go meet up with people. But, like, I got two GPs this year. I, I picked Richmond because it's really close to where I live, and Toronto because, well, present company excluded, Canadians are really nice people. So, and I've got a lot of friends that I'll get to see there. So I, I'm I'm not missing out too much on the Vegas. Maybe next year, though. Maybe next year. I'm sure there'll be a big one there then. I am sorry I'm not seeing you in Toronto. And sorry is a Canadian code word for uh, go F yourself. <laughs> Touche. No. Uh, and if I went to Vegas, I probably wouldn't play Magic. I'd probably just sit at a poker table for, for four days while my wife did shopping and sat at the spa and then came and met me for dinner. And I would enjoy every living minute of it. It is the World Series of Poker there, though. So it is like doubly as busy this time of year, I would say, um, especially for somebody that likes like likes the strip or likes to gamble. So I'll wait till October or something like that and maybe go when the weather's a little, a little cooler. Yeah, I've, I've anyway. lived in a desert before, too. And like, if you go outside, you just instantly melt. So uh, Vegas is not about outside. It's about air conditioning and the click, click, click of poker chips. That's that's what it is to me. But and the flick, flick, flick of magic cards. That is true. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about magic cards. And this week's episode, speaking of GPs, uh, we're going to be talking about Team Sealed. So Travis is going to school me on how to play Team Sealed uh, the, the closest I've gotten to Team Sealed was to hit a giant pre-release, so I'm basically a pro, from what I understand. Uh, but we're going to tweak my game a little bit, maybe maybe get me suited up for the next time that there's a G- Team GP in my area. And before that, uh, we're going to talk about all of the announcements, or not all of the announcements, all of the key announcements, the announcements we care about this week uh, when it comes to Magic. Not necessarily Magic Online, as there's been nothing mentioned about that as of the recording of this podcast. Uh, but we're going to talk about... Eh, we'll we'll see we'll see uh i mean there's there's still time left in the week but i'm not optimistic that there's any big announcements there uh but there is some cool things that they did announce um for that will impact online and uh play as well as some stuff in paper that i will really enjoy so i'm uh i'm looking forward to this this week and uh Magic goes through changes but the one constant you can rely on is the fact that we record every other week except for this week and last week, and then maybe next week and the week after. But then after that, we will be consistent, right? Inconsistently consistent is how I would put it. All right. And I don't mean to alarm you, but we are like three weeks away from uh, Hour of Devastation pre-release, if I do my math right. Oh, good Lord. Okay. I've got to put together a set review. Yeah. And we'll need to do I a mean, preview show. I, I guess we can say it'll probably be similar to M and Cat and that it's a very slow, grindy format, right? Yeah, slow grindy format, and you don't want to block ever anything ever. I think there was a mechanic. I don't want to talk about it too much, but it looks like there's a mechanic that punches blocking if it's a legit mechanic. So um, is it exert? No. Okay. I forget I'm, what it was. I'm called. just gonna say because we've already got that. But afflict. Yeah. 
afflict look like it punished you for blocking. It dealt damage when you blocked a creature. Okay. So, anyway, spoilers will be in a couple of weeks. Um, knock on wood, maybe maybe we'll get one, put our name in for that. Um, but in the meantime, we can talk about all of the changes that have been announced this week, and we're going to start. So, for those who aren't, uh, aren't familiar... Uh, the Wizards website put out an article, Mark, actually Mark Rosewater put out an article on Monday of this week called Metamorphosis 2.0, in which he discussed kind of the challenges of the last Metamorphosis, which was how many years ago now? Five? Three? Four? I thought Has it was it really, three. Only three? Be- between three and five. Sure. That's where they changed the, the, the number of sets in standard and they changed it from a, a three block to a two set block um you know draft sets we, we kind of got rid of that third small set and everything everybody was happy for a short period of time and then there were some complaints and then yada 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 life goes on so in the article he details a few changes that are coming up starting next year with a set after uh hour of Dev- devastation so, nope. so after uh, after Ixlan. that Ixlan, right so one of the big changes which will impact us as limited players is the fact that they are eliminating the small sets so uh going from you know, the, the, the two sets that are related to each other, large set, small set, in which you draft the small set first and then draft the large set um, uh, as the third pack, that is going away. So we're now moving toward the uh, three packs of one set every single draft format, which is which is very cool. So I kind of like the, the, the pivot in the draft format now where some of the mechanics bleed over, but it feels like you don't get enough of those old mechanics that you liked and the new mechanics that come in are like diluted or or you you kind of lose how important they are in the set and and it and it feels a little convoluted it was worse with the 3 the 3 block set or sorry there's a 3 set block um where by the time you got to the third set it was just like it's just a hodgepodge of random mechanics and themes and you don't even know what your set is anymore with the exception of uh fate reforged and dragons of cartier i thought uh, dragons of tarkir i thought that did a really good job but it seems like every other 3 set block that i played and drafted in the third one was just not up to speed do know the dragons of tarkir and cons of tarkir and fate reforged was not a three set block that's that's right actually it was just the two you never drafted all three together which is probably why it was the best out of all of them i would say in recent memory i i think the the end result of no matter how many sets you're doing when you have a, a three packs of one set it's easy to get multiples of a card. It's easy to find combos and it's easy to implement things with build around cards. And mm-hmm. when you add in another set to be drafted with that, it's so hard to get it right. And so easy to screw it up that it only makes sense just to stop doing that. Cause like nobody's ever clamoring to play, you know, Innistrad, Innistrad, Dark Ascension. When they do flashbacks, it's always triple Innistrad. You, you never hear people begging for Dark Ascension and it's just because it made the the build rounds worse. There was one less pack of them. So I think overall, this is a change that I can really get behind from a limited play perspective. And there's also a piece of it like the, the story isn't the most important part of the world to me. But like there's some worlds where I feel like I'm happy to spend a year there and others where I'm like, good God, just get me out of here. Like I, I, the, the flavor of Kaladesh didn't particularly resonate with me. I think because I like bad guys and like Tezzeret was just the biggest doofus of a bad guy. <laughs> I was like, whatever. We just had Imrakul, a giant spaghetti monster that's going to eat the whole world. And we've got, you know, Nicol Bolas coming, a dragon god. And I'm supposed to be like, oh, he cut off our power. Like it just, it didn't do it for me. So like we can get away from the the planes that you don't like faster 
as well as fully explore the ones that you do like. And like he said in the article too, if we really like a plane and we need to do two full sets to do it, we'll do that. So I think this is overall a net positive and will lead to better draft environments. Kind of the one, the next big kind of thing there that, that appeals to me is the return of the core set. Um, And from what I understand, from what I understand, it looks like it's going to be like a mix of new cards and reprints, not entirely reprints, not entirely new cards. Um, and then it sounds like, you know, typical core set, it's going to appeal hopefully to newer players, get some interesting cards in standard that don't make sense as part of a story block. Um, you know, maybe reprint piping needle, for example, in, in a core set. Um, I think there's some opportunities here. Um, a lot of, not a lot of, but I think some of the more experienced drafters get bored of the core sets easily. Uh, I don't think I'm one of them. I think I've enjoyed every single course that I've drafted. Um, and the upside is obviously that um, I can bring in my inexperienced friends and, and my daughter into a draft set into a course set. And hopefully it it does a good job of targeting that audience um, as well as keeping me kind of stimulated when it comes to the draft side of things. So I look forward. And Origins was great. Like Origins was was a, a good a good draft set. It was a great set overall. I really enjoyed the mechanics in that set. So hopefully the next course set can kind of knock that out of the park. Yeah, I thought corsets were always a nice palette cleanser and got you back to basic magic of, of playing dudes, playing tricks, playing removal spells and not getting too complicated. I was usually like done with them by the time it was over. Like if if they still had shadows over Innistrad cues, I think I would still jump into it every now and then, whereas I probably wouldn't for Origins. But I, I think you can get a solid two months play for an experienced drafter out of a corset. They're, they're just fun. So I'm really looking forward to see what they do with them. I'm I'm actually quite hopeful that they will release it like as its own release where you'll draft it and maybe even have a pro tour corset like they did in the past. I'd love to see that come back, um, but we'll have to wait and see exactly what direction they go with it. Yeah, um, it looks like there's four sets a year. So that would coincide with four pro tours a year, right? Yeah, it, it should. That, that's what it I took should. away is that it, it likely will. But yeah, I'd love to see something reprinted like Origins. I mean, speed of the format aside, the cards were very cool and there were a lot of neat things you could do there. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that. So it'd be interesting to see what, what happens there. And you mentioned Palette Cleanser. Um, not only is the core set a Palette Cleanser, but now it, w- with no small sets, it's like every set will be a Palette Cleanser potentially, except yeah. maybe potentially from a story side. But like, hopefully we'll see you know, really interesting mechanics and, and more frequent new mechanics, I think, with these with these sets. And the core set maybe not gives us more mechanics, but it definitely cleanses our palette of the story. So again, I think this is a positive change. I could see them rolling this back at some point, just like just like they, they've done in the past. But I mean, for the immediate future, I'm in. Same, same. So the next one that you wanted me to mention, <laughs> because you wanted to say something about it, and I'm kind of spoiling it here, uh, you're going to go on your grumpy old man rant. A little bit. Master Masterpieces. So it looks like they're scaling back the masterpieces, but more importantly is they haven't really said anything about are they coming to Magic Online outside of the chests? My guess is not. And that upsets you because... Thank you. Thank you for basically stealing all of my thunder. You're trying to make me a little less grumpy and it, it's working yes. a little bit. So the, the announcement was that they're not going to necessarily do masterpieces in every set or expeditions or invocations or whatever you want to call them, that they'll do them when they think it's appropriate and when they think they can do it well. And I think that's a fantastic idea. Don't try to squeeze this into every set. Do it when you can do it well and when it can be cool and when it fits the theme. I'm all for that. I'm still unhappy that I've who do you know that plays more magic than me, Dave? Personally, no, I can't think of anybody. Okay. 
I mean, I I play a lot of limited magic. I would dare say that I've opened as many Kaladesh packs as most of the people who play magic at all, right? And I've I've never opened a masterpiece. I've never opened an invocation. And it's very unlikely that I will. It would have to be at one of the two GPs that I go to. Like I play a lot of magic, but I don't play on magic online. The only way to get these invocations and magic online is to open them in a treasure chest, which is through constructed. So I, I feel like I'm missing part of the play experience when I've drafted these sets because they're not available to me to open in packs. Um, I was not happy when they announced that initially. I'm still not happy about it. Like when they released Expeditions, I opened them on Magic Online. The fact that they weren't really worth a lot didn't matter. It was still cool. I opened this ultra rare card. I get to have a Blood Crypt in my sealed pool in BFC. That's just ridiculous. Like I was happy and excited about that. Um, and and I don't have that opportunity, so I'm I'm still a little I'm still a little hard about that one. Like, don't forget about us moto players. But on the whole, the idea to only dole out expeditions or invocations again, whatever you want to call them, when they make sense, I think is a fantastic idea. I just hope that when they bring them back for the next set, they'll consider putting them in Magic Online, even if they're not redeemable. I, I don't think that it hurt Battle for Zendikar to have them in there. That was pre chests, right? That's why they were in those packs. Yeah, but like giving yeah. them giving them to me in chests, like I can't I can't make myself open a treasure chest. I've done it once or twice because I'm streaming and you know there's 200 people saying open the chest or whatever. But generally speaking, I just kind of hide the chests and then after the streams over sell them all because like mm-hmm. now that they're sellable, like you can open them and kind of gamble. Am I going to open a 10 cent common or a $50 rare or you can just sell them to a bot for a you know a couple ticks and go join another draft or modern event. So meh, that's that's kind of where I'm at on that. It's like the expeditions weren't cool for me because I never get to play with them. And I, I really would have liked to. Like I don't have the story about opening a sword of fire and ice in Kaladesh and it being awesome because I can't. God, that would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't open enough packs of cards to in in person to even consider like coming close to getting a masterpiece so online would be my only opportunity it doesn't bother me as much i think um but it would be cool to open one once in a while i just open mythic rares instead and and sell those that's that's our that's the masterpiece of our days so all right um and then my favorite announcement out of this whole thing banning of aetherworks marvel aside yeah they obviously did that because of my top eight that's the only because reason I can of, think of. You broke the format mm-hmm. uh, with your with your net decking there. <laughs> yeah. um, so this this one's not a moto moto thing, um, but I am very excited for this. Uh, they've announced the unset three, which was un. Why can't I think of the name of it now? Unresponsive, unstable, unstable. Uh, and the announcement video for that was actually kind of cool. Mark Rosewater is like his enthusiasm is infectious and and it it drives a lot of the excitement that I get from seeing these announcements, I think, because I, I read them all in his voice and it's like, I don't know, I listen to the Drive to Work podcast and of his and it's fun. So anyway, his his enthusiasm is, is infectious, but that is not the reason why I'm excited for the unset. I'm excited for the unset because I like to... When, when I draft with my friends, when I play Magic with my, when my close friends, we're not playing in a competitive environment. I like to screw around. I like to have fun with Magic. Um, I'm not looking to win every single game. Winning is secondary. We did the conspiracy draft. 
and uh with with the first conspiracy set and it was a ton of fun you know i lost every game everybody was new to drafting except for me and it was just this great experience and i'm really looking forward to doing that with the unset and i'm hoping that they can bring a lot of their modern magic design put this wacky spin on it and actually develop kind of a conspiracy like format in a silver bordered set that i can go and buy a box and sit down with my friends and have a drink and we're going to play stupid magic for four hours we're going to have a blast and then I'm going to take all those cards home and I'm going to build a cube out of it or something because I, I think that this is a good opportunity to get the people that don't take magic seriously together and maybe get them to take it a little bit seriously while still having this fun wrapped around it um, and just relax, loosen the tie a bit when it comes to magic. I can play seriously all I want any other time and the unset is a really good excuse for me to just screw around with magic. Yeah, I can see that being fun. Have a bunch of friends over, have a drink you know, bust a box that that product really isn't designed for me, but it's okay for there to be things that, you know, for, for different types of players. And, and again, I could see it being fun having a bunch of friends over to me. I was more excited about dinosaurs and pirates than the unset, but mm. I, I know there's a lot of people that are going to be going nuts over this and, and there will be some hilarious cards, right? Like I, I'm looking forward to this as well. Just I, not quite as exuberantly. I take off my pants at instant speed out of text. Out of out of context, quote of the day goes to Dave Seville. That should have been the 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 show title. Oh, it should have been. We can retroactively edit that actually. So okay. I might. Um, yeah. So positive things all around, um, with the exception. Well, it depends on what side you're on. But the other announcement that's kind of big, important to you is that they banned Aetherworks Marvel. Everybody's talked this to death already. What is your take on that? Give us the thirty second Travis summary. Eh, I. I- I don't think that the card was necessarily broken, especially after playing with the deck. Like you can whiff with it a lot. I don't think it was broken in a sense that it was just too powerful and was taking over a format. I do think that the play pattern it created was really unfun. Like mm-hmm. it, if it came together and you were able to turn for Ulamog, it just felt so crippling when someone did it to you. And it felt so powerful when you did it that you're like, what am I even doing here? Like that for me, once I did that once I was like, okay, I get why people play this deck and this is what I'm playing in standard until it's banned. Right. But it it just led to really unfun games. And then you had situations where like, even everyone was main decking artifact hate, like cycling artifact hate was all over the place and decks were built to beat this. So like in the end, it, it probably did need to go. Like if, if it was digital only and they could go in and, you know, retroactively make it cost five mana to cast or something like that, maybe even six, then maybe we're talking about a, a different different series of events. But I, 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 the only people I feel bad for are the people who recently bought into Marvel, right? Like anytime there's a banning in any format, it sucks for that format. But another part of these articles that, that Rosewater wrote was all sorts of things leading to me to believe they're going to try not to have stuff like this happen again. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is the last banning that we'll see for a while. Who knows the, the next sets that are coming could easily have something like that in it as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's probably a good thing that they banned it. This is true. It's the sick. Every six years we get this kind of um, band wave and it's always around artifact uh, formats it seems so yeah. it's as if the color pie is a nice check and balance against the ridiculousness of combo decks or ridiculousness of unbeatable cards so um doesn't impact me although to be fair to be a hundred percent fair 
Marvel was probably like a little bit of a driver of not taking my daughter to a standard uh, FNM or a standard game day. Uh, because obviously our Planeswalker decks are just going to get smashed by Marvel. And I feel like we do have some amount of game against the other non-combo-based decks, non-turn-4 Ulamog-based decks. Like, if I can get my deck to turn 5, you know, maybe I got a shot. But if I can't if I can't get to turn 4, um, you know, it, it's just not fun. So I look forward to having fun and playing against a zombie deck or maybe not a control deck, but, like, every other deck except for Marvel. Um, so we're going to try to line that up in the next couple of weeks and see what it looks like. But... That was the big um, problem, man. That's why I had to go. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm okay. Uh, whatever. I don't play enough standard to, to worry about it. So, my my opinion does not matter as much. Okay. Uh, oh, the other thing that I uh, that I just read just in passing is that Richard Garfield is designing one of the sets coming up. Return to Dominaria, maybe? Heck, yeah. That that will be amazing. I look forward to that. I think, I think I read that his last set was Innistrad, and the set before that was Original Ravnica. So... And those were pretty fun two two of the widely regarded better sets in the in recent times so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what that does um bring bring magic back to its glory days all right speaking of magic and glory days team sealed team sealed let's just, let's just dive right into this so you are uh a not not necessarily team sealed expert but you have earned most of your pro points or all of your pro points from team sealed which is it uh, it's most of them. I've had a few most good individual them. finishes. I've played in four Team Sealed GPs, uh, have cashed three of them, and top eighted one of them. So, unfortunately, you need the top four to, to go get, to the Pro Tour. To go to the Pro Tour. But top eight, is, I mean, obviously, is still respectable. Um, but it's not the same as an individual GP top eight. But still, so you top eighted. Cash three. Did you day two the other one or not? We did not. Uh, that one was not. really close. We had to lose the last two rounds in a row not to make it, and we lost the last two rounds in a row. Okay. And you've done this with a variety of teams, right? Like you've had, you've played with all sorts of combinations of players, right? Yep. I played with, uh, first one was KYT, the the man himself, and Josh Frankel. You may know mm-hmm. him as Soulbush1, the streamer. Uh, second one was with KYT again and Flaming Sheep from Mana Deprived Fame. After that, I went with a uh, GP winner and, or excuse me, GP top eighter and Pro Tour competitor, Chris Woodall. And the person at the time, uh, his name's Yang Lee, was the top ranked Magic Online player. Um, me and Chris decided we wanted to go and we, we needed a third person for the teammate. And we're like, hey, how about the guy that wins the most on Magic Online? Uh, so we, we just sent kind of a, a friend request to that screen name and recruited him. And then the uh, fourth one was actually here in D.C., with my good friend Martin Brunet and uh, Jack Wang, so different different teammates, different play styles, different places, um, but did very well in all of those. And and the consistent there, the the the, I mean, the common denominator obviously is you, but obviously, so when it when it comes to Team Sealed, um, you're taking a lot of the swings out of the game. So the consistent players, the the if you can put together a team of players that could six three a sealed day uh, GP on their own, it's very reasonable that your team goes seven and two, eight and one, nine and zero, oh, because you know you just have to win two out of your three matches mm-hmm. in any single match overall. Um, you know you don't have to win all three. If one of your t- if one of your teammates gets you know horribly run over or mana screwed or something like that, you can recover. So you're you're kind of spreading that skill level out amongst your team um, and spreading the risk out amongst your team. So if you can put together just competent players, your team should be able to overperform uh, if you perform well on the day of the day of the tournament. So 
So team construction. So, I mean, actually, let's start. So if if I'm new, so I've never done a team GP, right? The mm-hmm. closest thing I've done to, to team GP is, is two at a giant sealed. Not even close. If I'm preparing for a team sealed event and I'm looking for people to play with, who should I look for? Like what, what should I be looking for in my, in my two teammates, knowing that I have a, you know, rough abrasive personality and a very strong willed and I'm terrible at magic kidding, obviously, (laughs) but most of that, but what should I look for in my team when I'm looking to go to one of these, these GPs? Ideally someone who is a similar skill level to you and with whom you have a friendly relationship. A big part of the team construction is if somebody, if somebody tilts easily, like, you you know, the guys that you play with or the gals that you play with at your local card shop and they lose a game and they just won't shut up about it. Imagine Mm -hmm. if you legitimately have to hear about that all day. You can't walk away with it because they're your teammate and they're sitting beside you. You do not want that. So you generally want people with good attitudes that you can get along with that you're friends with. And I was very fortunate that all of the people that I played with had great attitudes, were very friendly, and we all had the same desire. That, that's the other key component. When you go to a team sealed event, there's, there's two reasons to go. One is to have fun and play magic with your friends. The other is to crush the GP and win it. One and or both of those can be your component. When, when I went with KYT, Brian, Josh, Martin, and Jack, like that was to go hang out with friends and try to crush it. I didn't really know Chris or Yang. We've become friends since then, and they're awesome dudes. But like, I was going there to that event so that I could win. Whatever your goal is in going, if the people that you're playing with are people you can get along with, you're way better off. So like, if you've got an opportunity to recruit the best player at your shop, but as soon as they lose a game, they just tilt and won't shut up about it, just don't even think about that that person. Let them go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first thing, I've got my team assembled. I've got you a ham sandwich and myself and you're going to carry us to victory all right so we're there so now in the weeks leading up to the team gp i need to do prep you do right i need to practice what is what is your approach to practice i mean you play limited all day every day so maybe maybe you have a different like you just play naturally but someone like me that doesn't maybe play as much as you and i'm specifically training rocky style for this gp what's my approach okay there's There's three training steps. One is what you can do individually. Individually, draft. This sounds absolutely ridiculous because sealed as a format is very different than draft, right? Mm -hmm. Team sealed is not. It's amazing what doubling the packs you're opening does as far as your deck synergy and the amount of choice you have in cards. The a, a good build for a team sealed GP is going to look a lot more like three draft decks than three sealed decks. So if you're just doing it individually, draft as much as you can and focus more on the archetypes that are available in the format. Make sure you know what all of the color pairs together are trying to do, that red, white is aggressive and trying to run you over so that you can look for that as you're opening these cards. Like it can be difficult to build a deck out of six packs in 30 minutes. Imagine doubling the packs, tripling the people that are helping doing it and doubling the time and you've got to build three decks. It's it's a mon- monumental task. So being aware of what all those archetypes are really helps, especially a good version of them. So step number one is if you're solo, just draft as much as you can. If there's two of you, after you've drafted as much as you can, take your best three draft decks from that format 
and swap out the three worst cards for the best possible cards you could have in that slot. And then jam those decks against another person who's done the same thing as often as you can. Again, just to get comfortable with the archetypes, to get comfortable with the bombs, especially uncommon and common level, like very strong cards. You need to have those identified and know what they are. And then the third one is if all three of you can get together, you can do it via Skype. I have done this. I even streamed it with me, Martin, and Jack. But do a practice build as a group. Mm-hmm. Open 12 packs of cards, sit down, set a timer, and start building the decks. Interesting. So, and did you do that on Magic Online on your stream? We did uh, We did it using the Magic Online client. I took uh, two sealed pools that I had opened and done sealed leagues with. Uh, saved those contents and then uploaded them all as like 12 packs at once. And we built okay. them on Magic Online and, and saved them. Outstanding. All right. So draft, draft more, draft more, jam your best draft decks together after pumping them up and then build these sealed pools with 12 packs. All it, right. It does so, not help you to build sealed pools with 12 packs by yourself. Do this with the two people you will be playing with. Right. Well, and, and obviously the reason for that is I'm going to get like, I'm going to be biased toward my own tendencies and trends. And I think when you're, when you're tackling any kind of problem like this, it's best to talk it out and it's best to work through different ideas and opposing ideas. Um, do you prefer working with people that agree with your style of play or that have an opposite view? Uh, you know, maybe you play control and they play aggressive and you guys go head to head when, when building these pools. You know, I, I, I have obviously some preferences in play style and I've had the opportunity to play with teammates who have the same preferences and different preferences. When I played with Josh Frankel, he was very much interested in playing a control deck and building towards that. Uh, whereas when I played with KYT at one of the GPs I went to it was actually the one with Josh. He said, I don't know enough about this set, but I'm very good at magic. Build me an aggro deck. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of watched while me and Josh built the decks to his credit, he crushed, including beating turn two pack rat on the draw. I, I don't know how he did that, <laughs> um, but he did because um, the, the guy's amazing. So I, I've seen both ends of that spectrum. What you're getting to some is is like what happens during the build. And I, I think there's a crucial piece of advice that I can give people for that build portion. Step one, when you're building these decks, do not decide who's playing what deck initially. Just try to build three decks. And, and here's the big kicker for what I've done at all of my events that has worked fantastically for us. Build 20 card decks, not 23. Once you have the 20 card decks built, determine who's going to play them and then let them pick the last three cards. Interesting. You waste so much time arguing over whether the three mana combat trick is better than the two mana combat trick is better than the main deck artifact removal. Like... It just doesn't matter what your last three cards are. So just let the person who's going to play it decide what that is. That makes so much sense because the last three cards in the grand scheme of things, percentage points wise, they don't mean a ton of of like, you know, it doesn't move the needle 10%. It might move the needle two or 1% or whatever. So why spend all that time arguing in um, this rule of thumb kind of applies to a lot of a lot of things in, in life, but like it's the 80 20 rule where you know, 80% of your time is spent, or sorry, 20% of your time is spent on getting 80% of the way there. And then you spend the rest of your 80% of the time 
nitpicky the last 20%. And that's what it seems, at least in my job, is that I can get most of the way with little effort and then it's that just getting over that hump. So I like that concept. Don't argue over the small things. Don't sweat the small stuff. That's interesting. I would never have thought of that because I would have built each one to completion. But I guess it's also personal preference too. Like if I'm playing aggro and I'm in there and I'm like, oh man, I love Mighty Leap in this format. Like give me Mighty Leap as my 21st card or 22nd card. Like if you don't like Mighty Leap, it doesn't matter because I'm not you're not playing, playing the, the damn deck. And I know that it's in my deck and I know that, that I can adjust my play style that because it's in my deck and I've played with it before. So I really like that. That's interesting. You're making me want to go to this Team GP thing at some point in the future. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, the next one is actually uh, the week after Vegas in Cleveland. And if if I was able, I would be attending that as well. Um, I will mm-hmm. be Team GPing again. It just won't be this year. But I, I thought maybe some of our listeners will be and we can make sure that they're prepped for it. Yeah. All right. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good here. So got my team. We're sitting down to build. We know our approach to build. How do we build? What, like, what's the approach? We crack open all our packs. We dump all the cards on the table. Like, where do we go from here? Like, what's, what's my approach to actually building the decks? So it's going to be interesting here in that you've got five colors and you need six colors to build, you know, three, two color decks. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of see the problem here. Some of this is going to be format dependent. Obviously, when we were building for the Dragon's Maze Team GP, you know, the colors got a little weird. But speaking for most of, of, of your sets where you're not having to do stuff like that, actually, Cons was kind of like that, too. Cons of Tarkir was the one we did in Nashville. Um, but generally speaking, if it's a normal two-color set, which this coming up one will be because it's Ammon Cat, you want to go through and, uh, again, lay out the cards have each person like assign each person a, a set of colors. Like Dave, you take uh, black green um, ham sandwich. You take red white. I'll handle blue and artifacts. We're going to prune out all of the unplayables. We're going to prune out the playables, and then we're going to prune out the reasons to be that, those colors, and then lay out the reasons to be those colors and see what they are. Take note which of your colors is the deepest because it's likely to be the shared one. When you're building, look for those archetypes, right? So like generally speaking, blue-red isn't a very common archetype in Amonkhet draft because you have to have those uncommon payoffs. If you have them, let's talk about blue-red. If you don't, we can kind of just dismiss that off the table initially, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I've, I've got some of the Javelineers and the Drakes, okay, let's take a look at a blue-red spells deck and see if we can do something there. If we don't have them, we can just leave that one out. Oftentimes, you'll want to pair those archetypes together. So like red-white, usually you're going to go together in this format because those are the aggressive ones. And you should have an aggressive deck out of 12 packs of Ammon Cat. Yeah, I mean, there, there's just enough. The aggressive format or the aggressive cards in this format are deep enough that you can always pull a deck out of 12 packs. Like, like it's pretty impossible to not get there. Yeah, I've um, seen good ones in six packs sealed. So like, so, look over those artifacts. Uh, archetypes, determine which ones you have that are viable, and then try to play as many of of your good rares as you possibly can. Like, if, if, let's say that white-black isn't a very great color combination in a particular set, uh, but we've opened a great white-black-gold card, we need to try to fit that in somewhere. Um, I would also caution you against splashing in these decks. A really good draft deck usually isn't splashing, And that's kind of what you're trying to build. Every opponent that you play is going to have bombs. So every deck that you build needs to have ways to deal with them. So ration out your removal. Um, 
if black has five really top-notch removal spells in your pool, that may need to be the color you split. Because if you give one of your teammates a pool with no way to deal with a bomb, and to be fair, killing them before they can play it is a way to deal with a bomb, right? So the aggressive deck maybe doesn't need that. Give them some combat tricks. But like, if you give one of your, your teammates a deck that can't handle your opponent resolving an Archfiend of Ifnir or an Angel of Sanctions or something of that level, they're going to lose. They're going to lose every single round. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be able to deal with this stuff. I, yeah, I actually got some of this from a, a seminar that Huey, Owen, and Reed did before one of the team GPs that I went to, and I sat down and, and listened to every single thing they had to say and took notes. Interesting. Okay. Now... So, so you've built your decks, you've, you've evaluated, you've all argued over the 20 cards that go in each one, and you've settled on, on your, your specific cards. How do you determine who gets what deck? Is it per- personal preference at that point? Do you try to find who's the better control player? Do you just roll dice? What, what's your approach to that? And then on top of that, how do you decide where each player sits? So if I understand that correctly, there's an A, a B, and a C seat, and the A's play against the A's, the B's play against the B's, and the C's play against the C's. And you're locked into that seat for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide? Is it important to decide where people sit? Is it, you know, do you try to put your most aggressive deck in a certain seat? Is there like some kind of metagame there? Um, or, or does it matter at all? So first off, deciding who wants to play which deck, just let everybody say what their preference is. Um, typically, there's going to be someone who prefers the aggressive deck and someone who prefers the controlling deck. And mm-hmm. you you should have a control-ish deck and an aggressive-ish deck. And then the third one could be another aggro deck. It could be mid-range. It could be another control. Like, you never know exactly what you're going to get. But there's going to be somebody on the team who has a preference for for one of these. If you can't decide, then there's probably something wrong with your team. Honestly, if you're, like, getting into a fight about who gets the most powerful deck, you're not going to do well at this event anyway. Go back to step one and start thinking about who you're going to bring to the next team GP. But I guess if you have to, roll a dice. The the seating is important because you can talk to your teammates during this event. You can They can give you advice about your board state. They can look at your hand. You can have conversations with them. The person in the middle is likely to be asked more questions, right? Because if you and me are sitting with a ham sandwich between us, it's going to be really difficult for me to lean over and ask you a question, Um So I'm going to be asking the sandwich more questions. So a lot of teams will tend to put their strongest player in the middle with the idea that they can offer advice to the other two players. There are other times where people will put the most aggressive deck in the middle with the idea that they will finish first and then be able to devote all of their attention to the other two sides that are playing. So just be aware that there's a lot of people who will say, put your best player in the middle. A lot of people who will say, put your most aggressive deck in the middle. At the end of the day, I would argue to put the person who's the most comfortable offering advice or being asked questions in the middle. And then as far as which deck they're playing, that's far less important. Just be aware they're they're probably 60% instead of 50% to play an aggro deck. So like if you're going to play a control deck in the middle, make sure you can handle some two drops. Okay, interesting. So a little bit of metagaming there. A little um, bit. But, but I, I do I like that. I wouldn't take it too seriously, but like it, it's okay. there. It's there. It's there. Okay. Um, I, I think the, the randomization theory probably uh, like where each deck goes is probably good enough. And that way you can kind of get around the metagame. So just pick a random seat for each one. That's probably what I would do. But I, I like the idea of putting a, 
uh, an experienced pilot in the middle, um, or at least somebody that doesn't mind um, answering a bunch of questions. But you're not locked in. Like once you finish your game, you can get up and and go to the other seat or whatever. Like you can move around as much as you want. It's just while the games are going on, you're generally paying attention to the game that's in front of you. Well, there's there's a couple of things going on there. You cannot leave the table. Mm-hmm. If you leave the table, you cannot come back. So if you got okay, a pee, interesting. If you got a P, you're abandoning your team. Um, so be aware of that. Um, I would also encourage you that like this, this seems silly, but don't ask stupid questions. Your, your neighbor that your teammate is playing their own game. And there's a lot of focus involved in just keeping up with a board state. So like, I'm not going to ask someone sitting next to me on my team, if I should keep her mulligan a hand, like I need to be able to make that decision on my own. It, right. it, it's situations where a play is not obvious where I actually just get paralysis and don't know what to do. Or like, okay, the game's going to be over next turn. This is the last turn of the game. Do you think I should go for this line that could win if they have this or this other line that wins if they have this instead? Like, should I play around a creature or a removal spell here? Like, these are questions that I might ask. But generally speaking, I'm going to let my teammates do their thing, be available if they have questions. And I'm also not going to jump in. Like, be aware if you're playing your game and you're very hyper-focused and then you look over and see your opponent, your your teammate doing something. You don't know the entire board state. You haven't seen all of the cards. So like, it's really distracting for them if you're like, hey, why are you doing that? And like, they can't really explain, like, what are they going to say? Because I think they have impeccable timing. Well, now your their opponent knows, yeah. okay, they're, they're going to play around this the rest of the game, even if I don't have it. Or if I do have it, great. I, you know, I, I can use this at some point. Like you're just giving away information. So I, I would only ask your teammates for help when you actually need it. And I would only answer questions when they're like legitimate questions. Like, frankly, if you show me a hand and say, should I mulligan this? I'm just going to smack you on the back of the head. <laughs> I'm going to ask the ham sandwich if it's if it's mayo or miracle whip. Blech, I don't like either. <laughs> OK, so great. So we've got our decks, we've got our seats, we've registered our pool, we're sitting down across from our opponents and we're ready to play our first games. Any other advice that you have for for sitting down to play aside from focusing on your lane and only leaning out of it when you get asked an important question? We've done a lot of podcasts and there are many podcasts about how to play. I actually have one more before and one after that is crucial for team play. Okay. The before is if you've ever registered a deck in a sealed event, you know that it can take a while. Now imagine you're adding in another three boosters worth of sideboard cards. It's going to take you a while to register these. You have to register every card and the sideboard cards matter. And you need to make sure that you have time planned after you've built your decks to register them and decide who gets what sideboard cards. If green, for example, is the color that you split in this format, you need to make sure that you divide those dissenters deliverances Mm -hmm. between the two people. Like obviously if only one person is playing white, shuffle all the white cards in there and give it to them. If you've got three of the destroy target enchant or exile enchantment or artifact, maybe the, the, the red black deck that is going for a longer, slower controlling game and has two evolving wilds in it actually wants that in their sideboard in case somebody has an enchantment or artifact, they just can't interact with. Right. So like decide where all of these sideboard cards are going, get them to the people you should be registering your deck with somewhere around minute 45, right? So that's when you should be having that discussion about where the sideboard cards go. After you've played the game, there's another big one. 
everyone I have played with um, has done this to an extent, but Martin really drove it into my head. Your individual record does not matter. It means absolutely nothing. The only thing that matters is your team's record. If your teammates lose and you win, you are not helping things by reminding them of that. If your teammates win and you lose, you're not helping yourself by remembering that. So like whatever happens at the table, ride it with the team, get over it and get ready for the next round. You will sink your ship faster than you can possibly imagine by saying something like, you know, we've just played a game. You lost ham sandwich lost and I won. I can't believe one of you idiots couldn't pull through on that. It sucks. Ham to sandwich. Have to, yeah. I can't believe we have to start, you know, this tournament down a game here. Like you're done. You're absolutely done. If you're going to tell your teammates that. And by the same token, like I said, if you lose, even if you lose and made a stupid mistake and just did something horribly embarrassing and everybody saw it, if the team won, it doesn't matter. Only the records show. So just get over that and move along. Win as a team, lose as a team. And don't rub it in their faces if you've got a winning record. Like, honestly, I've never kept track of my records at any of those events that I've been at. I couldn't tell you what I did at those events. I can tell you what my team did. And I, I really right. think if you put your focus there, you'll do far better. Outstanding. That's the kind of advice that I'm looking for. So I, I do feel confident that I do know something about team GPs now. So that was great. Any, anything else? Like other than that, it's just normal magic. Just sit down, play your game, win your game, cheer your team on, make the top four. That's your goal. That's your goal. Um, be aware that time is a factor. Um, if you're going to have conversations with your teammates, mm-hmm. like keep your eye on that play clock because it's a lot easier to, to go to turns and have draws and draws are just as bad in team GPs as they are anywhere else. Also be aware that because you have to wait for two games to finish at the very least, sometimes three, you're far less likely to have a lot of downtime between rounds. So it's doubly important for you to have a back, somebody with a backpack full of bottled water, apples, peanuts, whatever it is that you're going to bring as food. Like I, I think most of those, I did not have time to leave and get lunch. Interesting. Like, okay. B- because that, that's not something I would have expected. Yeah, well, just think about it. Like, you know, sometimes you have games that go very long at a GP and you don't have any time between rounds. That's going to happen far more often because there's three of you playing. Like every Mm -hmm. once in a while, two of you get crushed fast or crushed quickly. And like the third game doesn't matter at that point. I would also encourage people like if if your two teammates have won their game and the person on the other team says you want to finish it for fun, say no. Just say no. Yeah, say no, I wish you guys was the best of luck next round, but let's get the slip signed and get out of here. Like it's a long day and you're going to need all of your brain. So don't waste any of it playing a game that doesn't matter. So do you think it would be a DQ if I ate the ham sandwich because all of our rounds went long and we didn't get a lunch break? Or would we just have to play a, a sandwich down for the rest of the tournament? I'm not really prepared to discuss cannibalism on this podcast. Um, but you know, whatever you're into is, is, is fine by me. You Canadians are weird, man. I mean, ham sandwich isn't really a human. It's like another species, right? (laughs) I don't know. Yes. Okay. It's a pig. And, and further to my earlier question of Mayo or miracle whip, do you think if he played in a legacy tournament, he'd be sad that he couldn't play miracles anymore? Maybe he'd play it with Sidisi's whip. Let's, let's just get this straight. The only thing that goes on a ham sandwich is Swiss cheese or pepper jack cheese. 
and then you toast it. That's it. You do not put that's other. It? That's it. You don't mm. need anything else on it because ham is delicious and cheese is delicious and bread is delicious. Why would you ruin it with any of those condiments? Just like let let it go, man. Don't ruin right. the flavor of ham. That's fair. So if anybody out there knows a ham knows of a ham sandwich is looking for a, a team GP team, uh, send them our way, and I'm sure we can we can pick them up and, and find a way to the next team GP after Cleveland. So. Anything else? That was a nice, tight, concise podcast this week. It's as if we did one last week. Yeah, it's almost as if we planned it, too, or, and like did yeah. some research or something. Yeah, that, that's basically all I wanted to get out. Have some fun with your friends, play your games, and good luck to all of our listeners who are participating. If you have any additional questions, feel free to stop by my stream. It's at twitch.tv slash simulan. I'm happy to talk about Team Sealed. I could babble about Team Sealed for hours and hours and hours. All of the people that I've played with as teammates um, also know a great deal about this. Uh, you can find Martin Brene on Twitter, uh, Josh on Twitter, KYT on Twitter, Flaming Sheep. Uh, Jack Wang is on Twitter too. Chris Woodall tweets. I, I don't know that Yang has an active account, but like any of these people are, are great to give you advice to. I think Martin and Josh have actually, and KYT have played more than I have uh, because there's uh, a, a pretty big scene around face-to-face in Montreal where they do these sealed team tournaments quite often. Uh, so th- they've played even more of it than I have. A-, a lot of people will have a question about drafting as well. You don't draft currently until you make the top four. I-, I can tell you why, because the first team GP that I did, the one where we came in fifth, <laughs> day two was draft. And it it was kind of awful because it took so much time. Mm-hmm. So the the modern team sealed events are really team sealed. You come and play day one sealed day two, you get a second pool. You build that and you play. And then the top four teams draft for anybody listening to this. Don't worry too much about the team draft. Just take all the good cards when you get there. But like, if you've done that, like you just made it to the pro tour and you top four to team GP. Yeah. You're already there. Yeah. You're already there. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Be happy. Um, hate draft more than you normally do recognize that there's only six packs instead of eight. So you're not going to get duplicates and everybody's going to have garbage decks. Like I I think there's other places to go to get information about team drafting. I just want to get you to the top four. After that, you're kind of on your own team draft super league league. You should watch that on the twitch.tv slash magic on Tuesday nights. If you're interested in that. Yeah, Um, that'll be some great insight. They do a really good job, and it's all the pro players that just play that all the time on the side at the pro tour when they've all gone like three and nine and or three nine and drop or whatever it is that you drop on day one. That seems like a lot of magic to play on day one. But all right, well, I think we're gonna close it up there. So enjoy your Vegas if you're there, or I hope you enjoyed it if you're listening to this after you've gotten back. And if you're going to the team GP, I wish you good luck there as well. So until next time, bid you adieu. Adios.